My name is Kate the Socialite, and you're listening to episode 173 of The Kate Show, and today I am speaking with a very special guest on how you guys can expertly create the perfect client consult workflow for your home industry business. So let's just chat about that for a second. Have you ever wondered how you could possibly level up your paid client consultations? Whether you're a designer, a stager, an organizer, or a window treatment specialist, your consult time is valuable. If you are not already charging a premium rate for those consults, you'll need to after gleaning all the wisdom from today's interview. My conversation today with professional interior designer and longtime client of my agency, Kathleen Jennison, is insightful and actionable. Kathleen is a lead designer and owner of KTJ Design Co., and her story is captivating. If you're looking for a better workflow and comprehensive process for your client consultations, you will not want to miss this episode. Now, as always, guys, if you have not followed the podcast yet, please do follow The Kate Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to leave a rating and a review. I absolutely love knowing what you guys think about the show. It doesn't always have to be five stars, although those are preferred and appreciated. So thank you guys in advance for that. Also, if you are looking for another interior design related podcast, I suggest that you head over to designnetwork.org where you can check out hand-picked interior design podcasts on all things architectural stuff and business stuff and money making and marketing and just all the things really. So head over to designnetwork.org for that. Now, before I dive into the interview, let me tell you a little bit more about our guest today. So like I said, I have Kathleen Jennison on the show and she had an unexpected traumatic circumstance happen to her that gave her one of two options. She could either live her life by design or live it by default. She chose the former and has never looked back. Up until like 15 years ago, Kathleen was actually the hard-charging, successful CPA in her domain. She was a total left-brain person. But in 2006, she was involved in a car accident that completely changed the trajectory of her ambitions. And I have to tell you guys that even though it starts out with trauma... It has a happy ending, or rather, her story is far from over, so let's just say that it has a happy next page. It's a page-turner, for real, guys, and I have been very interested in Kathleen's story since I first started working with her many years ago, and I am really excited and honored that she's going to share that with us today, as well as her really cool, expertly crafted consultation process that she uses for her clients and she's being generous enough to give us the details on that today. So do not miss this interview. Have your pencil, your pen, or your smartphone handy so that you can take some notes because this is something that you will want to write down. All right, guys, without further ado, let's talk with Kathleen. Today's episode of The Kate Show is brought to you in part by the Window Coverings Association of America. If you're an interior designer, a window treatment specialist, or an installer looking for business growth, listen up. With an annual membership to the WCAA, you'll receive trade discounts, ongoing education, and an exclusive listing in their homeowner-facing directory of professionals, which, by the way, guys, makes it a lot easier for people to find you. Whether you've been working in the home industry forever or you're fresh out of design school, the WCAA can help you take your business to the next level, whether you're just trying to scale up or you're just getting started go to wcaa.org for more details. 
Marketing your interior design or home staging business should be easy and relational. My name is Kate the Socialite, and I believe in action, not just ideas. And I share strategies that have proven to work right here every week. If you're serious about growing your business in the home industry, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Kate Show. This episode of The Kate Show is brought to you by Side Door. As an interior designer, a home stager, a window treatment professional, or a home organizer, you guys deal with products every day, many of which your existing audience would love to own. If you're dreaming of selling product through your website or through your social media platforms, but you just don't want to be bogged down by ordering and shipping and loads of inventory, you need Side Door. When Side Door entered the home industry in early 2020, they changed everything. Side Door lets you source and curate the perfect trade-only pieces for your customers' homes, and with their seamless platform, you can create product collections with ease. Curate an entire room, specialize in a certain aesthetic, or simply create a collection of, I don't know, your favorite area rugs. Whatever you know your clients love would make for a great Side Door collection. You curate the look, Side Door handles ordering and shipping, and you make money. Plus, you can sell each collection many times over, creating the perfect opportunity for recurring income. Or if you really just want to keep things simple, you can use Side Door to buy products yourself at designer pricing without needing to have an account with various vendors or meet any of their required minimums. It's about power to the designer people. If you're ready to truly scale your home industry business, go to OnSideDoor.com and apply to join. Now, let's get to today's episode. Welcome to the Kate Show, guys. I am so excited to have with me a very special client, someone who has been working with my agency for, I think we've determined it's been about five years. So welcome to the Kate Show, Kathleen. Thank you, Kate, for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Well, I am excited to have you here as well, because it's really, really rare that I have any of my clients on here, and it's got me thinking I need to do more of this. But what really started this whole conversation was one of my recent episodes where I talked about how to conduct a a proper consultation with clients, because unfortunately, there are still a lot of people in the home industry, a lot of professionals who are offering free consults. And you know, I'm sure we can go on and on about the problems with that. And you are on the other end of the spectrum where you have this amazing consult workflow. And that's really what I want to dive into today. But before we get to that, I have teased people like crazy in the intro for this episode, reading them your bio, telling them about just a little sneak peek of your journey and that traumatic experience back in 2006 that kind of brought you where you are today. So I do want to get into some of that. But first, let's just start with the basics. Could you give my listeners an overview of your business model, how long you've been in business, your projects, your team, just so they understand where you're at today. Sure. I say I've been a designer for 10 years, which doesn't count the time that I went back to school to get my degree in interior design. So it's really been about 14 years, but full-fledged business for about 10 years. And I started out doing commercial projects the first year and some residential and then realized I needed to niche down. And so I focused on residential. And that's what I continue to do today. Um, Kitchen and bath design and then furniture is my niche and how I work 
I have a lead interior designer that works with me. She's been with me for about six, seven, eight years. I'm not even sure. It seems like forever. And uh, we're like two peas in a pod and work really well together. So it's just her and I doing all the work. <laughs> yeah, And it, having the right people on your team can make a small team feel like a big team when you really just mesh perfectly like that. We do. And some there's some days when we, you know, we're just in sync and we're working. And at the end of the day, I'm like, we have gotten so much work done. It, it's amazing to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious, actually, just asking off the cuff here, how did you guys find each other? Because one of the big questions that people are always asking me is, how do I find the right team members? I feel like I'm always having to train people who don't know anything about my industry. And then it just creates more work versus lessening the work. So do you have any input on that? Well, I actually was on the board for ASID. I started out really early jumping in to that as a student and I've been on the board. I have, I'm not on the board now, but it was for a while all the way up until I was a president at one point. But Sandra came on kind of the same way I did right out of school. She was an emerging professional and I met her that way and I just saw how she conducted herself and I was really impressed. She was right out of college and uh, she was working at a design build firm and she clearly was not happy there. They were not using her to her full potential. And so I just said, come work for me. I had no idea how I was going to pay for her. <laughs> in fact, the first month I was like, okay, I think I have $300 in the account. Not sure how I'm going to pay her, but I know that I need her. And I wanted to grab her before someone else did. So, and it's been a really good thing since then. And she says that I'm her mentor, which which I am. But she has taught me a lot as well. And, you know, we've had our ups and downs through the years. Obviously, when you work this close with someone, you're going to have those points and times where you have a little friction. But we're very respectful of each other. And sometimes it's funny because, you know, we'll be working on a project and we'll go home. And then the next morning we'll come in. And almost at the same time, you're like, I was thinking about such and such project. And here's what I think. And we'll have the exact same idea. That is so cool. Yeah, I know sometimes people are like, I wish I could just clone myself. And really, I can say that I've cloned myself in her. So mm-hmm. it's really great. <laughs> you know, that what you said brings up an interesting point, because when people are at that really kind of sticky spot in their business, where they're like, I need to hire another team member, but I don't think I have the finances for it. But I also know I'll never have the finances for it because I can't work any more than I'm already working. And so it's kind of like, oh, what do I do first? Like completely burn myself out or just kind of chance it and bring on this person. It sounds like that's what you did, you know, saying there's only 300 in the account, but I need her. So this is what I'm going to do. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like having the ability to take a few risks and grow your team in the right way really grew your business. Oh, definitely. I mean, I was at the point where I could not do any more work and I was actually having to turn clients away. And I was like, thought to myself one day, like, this is stupid because here I can bring someone in, you know, at an hourly rate and charge three to four times more of that per hour. At that point I was charging hourly. So why not do it? And the first few weeks I hired her, I got, we got a big contract. They paid a big retainer and I had the money to pay her. So it just, it was in, you know, the mm-hmm. gods were watching over us because it, it all worked out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing that 
I learned from Michelle Williams, who's a business coach for interior designers, was that if you're going to bring on somebody new to your team, make sure their hours are billable so that it's not like all coming out of your pocket. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing, especially if now she's a lead designer. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that is something that I feel like the newbie designers definitely need to know. Like it doesn't have to be overhead. It can actually be income producing person that you're hiring. Yeah. Definitely what it is. And yes, you can always find a reason when it's not the right time. Mm -hmm. You know, you can always find that reason. So you just need to jump in and do it. And that's the only way you're going to grow. If you do that. And, you know, I still have major burnout because I really do need probably two more people right now. And we had a third person for a while and she left during the COVID thing and didn't Mm -hmm. come back. So probably going to be bringing on someone else pretty soon. Mm -hmm. I wish that there were more hours in the day, but there is also a thing called quality of life. Yeah. Being able to just relax and truly turn off on the weekend. I know that you and I are coming off of a long weekend with 4th of July and I don't know about you, but it is hard for me to relax. Like it's very hard. Oh, it's almost impossible because then all <laughs> I do is sit there and think about all the things that I could be doing. Like I should just go get my laptop. I could just, I could sit outside and work. I mean, that's relaxing, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's really, really, really hard. <laughs> yeah. So I want to back up a little bit and talk about how you landed in this entrepreneurial journey, because it is definitely the most unique story that I have ever heard. And I was teasing people by reading your bio in the intro. And all they know is that back in 2006, you were in a car accident. So do you want to tell us what happened that day and then how that changed your life forever? Okay. Previously, I had I was a CPA. I worked for one of the big five accounting firms. There was five of them at that time. And we were on a strategic planning meeting for a three-day retreat. The last day we'd played golf and it was around two o'clock. I was on the first team and so I left and was driving back to the office and I took a scenic route. I was in Napa, California, which is a beautiful area. Took a scenic route home, which was a very curvy, curvy road. And I came around a hairpin turn and there was a car parked in the road and they were taking pictures and I swerved to try to miss them. I meant to go onto the shoulder, but the gravel grabbed my tires and I went over a ravine that fell 200 yards down. And um, the last thing I remember was the airbag starting to deploy out of my steering wheel and thinking to myself, this is not going to be good. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So. I went down the ravine. Luckily, there was a car behind me that saw me call emergency services. I don't remember any of this because I was unconscious for quite some time afterwards, but I had some very bad traumatic brain injuries, a lot of other injuries, and uh, was in UC Davis Medical Center for quite some time. So I had a lot of rehabilitation, physical rehabilitation for the broken bones, and then cognitive rehabilitation for the brain injuries. When I did come back to consciousness, if you've ever seen that movie, 50 First Dates, Mm -hmm. um, she had an accident and she wakes up every day not remembering anything. That's how it was for me at first. I would wake up in the morning and my husband would be sitting there and I'd say, why, what happened? Why am I in the hospital? And he would tell me the story and it'd be the same thing the next day. I would wake up and like, why, what's happening? Why am I here? Luckily for me, after a couple weeks, my short-term memory came back, but I had to relearn how to speak and 
recognize things. I have, I still have problems with word recognition or word, what they call, I try to have to find words. Sometimes the words don't come to me or I say, call things by the wrong name. So, which is kind of funny because I'll, and Sandra's there to help me, <laughs> my assistant to help me with this, but I'll be talking to a client and I'll be pointing at the floor, but I'll be saying the chair and she'll be, that's the floor. I'm like, yeah, I mean the floor, I mean the floor, <laughs> but I get mixed up with my words. But anyway, so I had a long rehabilitation and part of the rehabilitation, I, they were having trouble. I also lost the vision in my right eye. So I was having trouble with my um, depth perception. So my ophthalmologist said, you know, the best thing you could do is take some art classes because the action of putting pen to paper will help you with your depth perception. And kind of at the same time, the same week, my neurologist said, you know, I put you through all this cognitive rehabilitation, but the best thing would be for you to learn something new, something that you've never done before. So it was kind of at the same time. And so my husband and I visited art colleges and they had a, the next semester was a drafting class. And I thought, oh, that, I kind of like to do that. So I took the drafting class and it was really, really hard, but I really, really liked it. It was interesting because Part of my rehabilitation, uh, my accident happened in June and it was like October before I actually got to like go out in public just because of my injuries and things. And my husband took me grocery shopping and there was a gift card kiosk and there was Halloween cards. And I was fascinated by them. I think I bought 20 Halloween cards because of the pictures. And so when I saw my cognitive rehabilitation person, she's like, that happens sometimes is like your brain switches, you know, you're such a right brain person. And now you, you might be coming a left brain person. And I was like, Oh, my God. So I think that was just really, really strange. And then I would talk to my physical therapist about it. She goes, Yeah, I've seen that happens. And I was like, Wow, I had no idea that that happens. Mm -hmm. But about six months after the accident, I kind of went back to work part time, even though they told me I shouldn't, I wanted to because my accounting career was everything to me. It was my identity. But I still took these classes at the art school. And then so the first semester I took one and then the second semester I took two. And before I knew it, I left my job as an accountant and was just taking the art classes. And then before I knew it again, I had a degree in interior design. And I was like, I didn't intend to do that, but <laughs> here I am. Now what do I do? <laughs> and this was during the economic downturn and lots of really, really talented designers with many, many years of experiences had been laid off from their job and they had no jobs. And so I thought to myself, well, you know, I know about business. I know how to start a business. I know how to set up a corporation. I know how to make invoices. I know accounting. I'm just going to start my own business. But little did I know... <laughs> that the interior design industry is so convoluted. I mean, I have to tell you in accounting, I, I was a financial statement auditor and I audited the financial statements of public companies for products that most people use every day, like huge companies. I would be talking to the CEOs and learning how their operations run, very complex companies. But interior design, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. It's so complicated and convoluted that just the sales tax some of the things I had to do was look at my client's sales tax filings. Oh, yeah, I get it, blah, blah, blah. The sales tax for interior designers is so crazy. Like, I had to call the board, um, Board of Equalization, like, can you please explain to me how this works? I come to find out they have a dedicated person just for interior designers. That's how complicated it is. Oh, my word. So, yeah. It's, <laughs> but I 
from the time I started, I've always had clients, but it was a lot of trial and error because back then we didn't have podcasts. We didn't have a lot of coaches, business coaches for interior design. It it was just, there wasn't any of that. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it it was really difficult. (laughs) Well, and I wonder, because I've... I sent you a list of questions before we had the interview, but now I'm thinking of others. <laughs> so <Okay. laughs> um, my first question is, do you remember how you got that very first client? And if you don't, that's fine. But I am just curious. Well, it's kind of interesting because one of the things I did in college is I started a blog. And I think I forget what platform it was on. It was one that's not around anymore. But I started a blog talking about my journey of my accident, and then going back to school and learning interior design. And a lot of my prior colleagues and clients that I had in accounting were following those. And so when I graduated, a lot of them came to my graduation, and then they started hiring me. I kind of, sometimes I'm like, I think they just felt sorry for me. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) But that's how I started. You know, my first four or five clients were former colleagues and former clients, and they had me working on different things. Mm-hmm. And it was all just referral. So I've always been busy. Yeah. You know, my guess is they were so impressed by your resiliency. And I know that on one of our previous marketing calls, since we we still work together, I had made the comment, and which is still true to this day, that I honestly think you are a boss. I mean, the, the way that you have reinvented yourself and come back from such a traumatic thing that you had every excuse in the world to be like, okay, well, I'm done now. Like Mm -hmm. that, that was, that was enough. Like this Mm -hmm. world is too much. Uh, Instead, you're just like, well, I'm just going to start this whole new career in the most convoluted industry possible. Yeah. And the also thing I want to point out is you said sometimes you have a hard time coming up with the right word. Yet, ironically, you are an avid blogger. And that has served your business so well. And, you know, people that were following your blog from the very beginning ended up becoming your first clients. I mean, that's proof that blogging works, but it's also proof that even after recovering from a traumatic brain injury, you're able to turn around and start blogging. And that to me is just hands down the most impressive thing I have ever heard. So kudos to you. Thank you. It really was all form of therapy and I do persevere. And so there are days that it's hard. Some days are still hard for me, but I just, I don't know. I'm determined. (laughs) And I do love what I do. I do have such a passion for it. I do love it. And and that passion is really evident. I mean, the different things that you're blogging about, the way you talk about them, the opinions that you have, there's a reason why what you write is popular. You know, on Google for regular SEO, on Pinterest, people actually, they really want to know what you have to say on various things, even if it's about whether or not to put the microwave above the range. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was a very popular topic. (laughs) I'm taking a break from this episode really quickly to chat about Side Door one more time. Why? Well, guys, I believe you shouldn't have to constantly trade hours for dollars in your business. And I bet you believe the same thing. If you are ready to take your home industry business to the next level, you need to consider signing up for SideDoor. SideDoor is the only platform that lets you create a custom shop of your favorite trade-only products. You make the sale and they'll handle ordering and shipping. Or you could just use SideDoor to purchase products yourself at designer pricing without any vendor accounts or minimums required. 
it honestly doesn't get any more brilliant than this. So many of my listeners are already using Side Door and for good reason. You can sell products on your own website and even from your own social media profiles. It's pretty much genius. If you have dreamed about having an online shop, but you just didn't want to take care of the technology or having inventory or just all the headache and stress that can come along with that, Side Door could be a great solution for you. Sign up at onsidedoor.com. So having been a CPA and now being a designer, have you found that having that financial knowledge is really beneficial? The reason I ask is because I've spoken with a lot of interior designers who don't necessarily have a, a numbers brain. And not that you can't learn that, but having basically lived on both sides of this spectrum, how do you think one has impacted the other career? I think it's impacted it a lot. And it's probably one of the reasons that most of my clients' first contact is with the husband, because they see that I was a CPA. So I think they understand that I understand business. And I do understand business. I mean, I know a lot of designers have problems with charging what they're worth and getting a contract and asking to get paid. I don't have any problem with that because within my accounting position, that was part of my job was getting the contract signed, getting the payment. So I I, I don't have a problem doing that. Mm -hmm. And also the organization part of it, being an accountant, obviously you're very organized. So the organization part of it follows through as well. And I do understand business, so I do understand how it goes. And so one thing that I've just started doing on June 1st is, believe it or not, I'm outsourcing my accounting, which was the hardest thing for me to do, (laughs) to let go of it. But it was, like you said before, there's just so many hours in the day and I want to be the designer. I don't want to be the bookkeeper. I don't want to be the market person. I want to do the design. And I don't get to do as much of it because I'm doing the accounting. So it's been hard for me to let go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Still having trouble with it. But if someone is is starting out as an interior designer and they're not good at that stuff, that is one of the areas I would definitely reach out and find someone to help me with that because it's really important. Yeah, getting the numbers right is huge. And that is something that I struggled with in the early stages of my business because I was like, I'll figure out QuickBooks. Just kidding. I won't. Like I had messy spreadsheets and I had no clue what I was doing. And the day I handed everything over to a bookkeeper, it was like, hallelujah. Oh my goodness. Amazing. (laughs) So uh, for you having been the other end of it, I can see how that would be hard. That would be like me telling someone else to write my blog post show notes, you know, podcast show notes. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) and like I said, that interior design industry is so complicated because, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a business degree and then I got an interior design degree. And then when I first started my business, I was like, well, shoot, I really should go back to college and get a marketing degree. And then, oh, shoot, I really should go back and get a graphic design degree because there's so many elements that you have to take care of. Mm-hmm. So um, outsourcing, I am sure I think you've given that advice. And so as many of the other consultants is outsourcing mm-hmm. is something you really, really need to do. And it frees you up to make the money to pay for those people. And you can then do the things that you really like to do. Yeah, exactly. Because at the end of the day, we have to have a business that we love 
and can stay passionate about versus getting so burned out that we just want to close the doors for good because I've definitely seen that happen and it's really sad. Yeah. And believe me, over the last 10 years, there's been a few times where I've, you know, went home and told my husband, this is it. I'm not making any money. This is ridiculous. I'm just going to shut it down. And then all of a sudden I get this great, huge client and he's like, oh, so you're still shutting down. I'm like, well, no. And then he just laughs at me. (laughs) He's very patient with me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was having a conversation with somebody earlier today and we were talking about how emotional being an entrepreneur is. And I don't think that it's talked about enough because maybe women struggle with this more than men. But when we're going through that slump, because inevitably every business is going to go through, you know, some ups and some downs, and sometimes the downs will seem much longer than the ups, but it can be emotional and make us question our own value, make us question our entire life to that point. I appreciate that you shared that because I do think that's going to resonate with a lot of the other designers and the stagers that are listening. Yeah. Just know that it's normal. Yes. Yeah. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) There's some comfort in being normal. That's for sure. (laughs) So at what point over the past decade did you start implementing certain workflows and crafting certain experiences for your clients? Because I know that your big thing is your remodel clarity session, which I do want to get into, but When did that come about? When did you see a need for that standard operating procedure in your business? Well, you know, because of my business background, one of the things that I did as an auditor was look at the company's procedures and internal controls. And that's one of the things that I audited. So I knew it was very important. But being that I was a sole person by myself, it was a little lackadaisical because, oh, it's just me. It doesn't matter. But I I did try to put in systems, especially for my clients. I think just right away I I did that, but it really came full head is when I hired Sandra because, you know, I had to have things in writing so that she knew what to do. So I hired a business consultant to help me with that and switched from from QuickBooks to an accounting software that's just made for interior designers. That made a huge difference. And so, yeah, it works really, really well. And early on after the first year or so, you know, Sandra was struggling a little bit. She's like, well, I just don't really know what you want me to do. And so by me putting that in place and in writing has really helped her. Mm, Yeah. And that's what a lot of coaches refer to as the SOP or the standard operating procedure for the listeners who are like, what does that mean? So can you explain what the remodel clarity session is? Because for as long as I can remember, and we've been working together for about five years, you've had this in place. And it's kind of been one of your, I don't know if I should say core offerings, but I do think that it seems to be the foundational piece of a lot of what you do. So do you want to just tell everybody listening what exactly that is and how you conduct it? Yeah. So the first few years I was doing free consultations and those would be an hour. I would go out and not sure how much information I should give them. And I just felt like they were just trying to pick my brain for free advice it would take me sometimes 30 minutes to drive there, 30 minutes to drive back. Then they wouldn't convert into a client. Sometimes even I would go to someone's house and they weren't there. They stood me up. And so I thought if they had some stake in it, they had some money in it, it's going to be important to them. But then because it was taking me and I was doing three or four of them a week. And one at one point I was like, I am not making money on these consultations and I can't work on the paying clients because I'm doing these. And it takes, you know, two to three hours for each one. 
So I decided that I needed to charge for them, but I didn't think that an hour was enough because of the travel and then the setup before you meet. It had to be a two-hour minimum. So I set it to a two-hour minimum and charged a fee, and I devised the things that they're going to get because I feel if you're going to pay for something, it's all nice for us to meet and talk and chat, but I want to get something. If I was a client, I would want mm-hmm. to get something. Yeah. So we measure their space. We do quick sketches. We sketch it out on um, paper. We will lay out different ways, whatever room they're working on, how they want to do it, come up with ideas. We'll come up with two or three ideas, really rough sketches just to create ideas. And Sandra's with me or whoever was with me taking notes. And at the end of it, they would get all the notes and we would tell them what products they should use that would work best for their family. So we would write down those names so that they could go investigate it. We would give them all the drawings that we did at that time. Because sometimes if it was just a living room and they needed to see how the furniture could lay out, because that's a common complaint that I get when people call me is like, I have a new house in this living room. I just don't know where to put the furniture. And so sometimes at the end of the two hours, they would say, this is great. I want to go shop on my own. And then I would be fine. You've paid for it and you can have it. And so during those two hours, and I tell people, this is your two hours. We can talk about anything you want to related to interior design. And I will answer your questions fully. I will not hold back at all. And before we go out to meet them, we have them fill out a questionnaire. And then we also ask them to create inspiration boards on Pinterest. So we have a good idea of what their aesthetic is because we bring catalogs. Sometimes we'll bring samples. And um, while I'm sketching things out, I instruct them to look through the catalog and I give them sticky notes and tell them, you know, put the sticky notes on things that you're drawn to. And then we go over it. And then we will, I also have a list that I give them. It's called the good, better, best list. And I have one for each room that lays out all the things that you would need. So for instance, a living room, you know, a sofa, two chairs, blah, blah, blah. And then I have prices for different levels that they want. And we circle what level they want so that they can come up with a budget. So we give them a lot for the two hours. And at the very end, the last 15 minutes, we go over our contract if they want to work with us further and tell them, you know, all the particulars of that. And um, yeah, it's it's been, we do two to four of those a week. We charge $600. And that's the thing that pays the bills, pays the rent. <laughs> Yeah, Keep the and, lights on. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love it because you are not devaluing your brand. You are not discounting your knowledge or your services. And I love that it gives you the freedom to not hold back, like you said, and just be the designer in that moment and not worry about whether or not they're going to hire you in order to make that time valuable. I just yeah. think it, it's a very clear-cut professional service in a very good way to deliver it. And when you said you do two to four of those a week, I pretty much just heard a lot of listeners jaws drop because especially with the new designers, like even just getting maybe one of those a week or one every two weeks would be something, you know, because that can cover a lot of overhead right there. So that's incredible. Yeah. And they're exhausting. You know, at the end of the two hours, I am wiped out because I am talking the whole time, sketching, trying to think of their design while they're talking to me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) looking at their house and figuring out ideas for them. 
And also in my area, my demographic, a lot of people have never used an interior designer. Their only experience with an interior designer is what they see on reality TV. And because at first I was having trouble getting clients because they were like, I don't really know what an interior designer does. So I call this their introduction to interior design. So it's $600, but it's not a huge investment. And it's their way to get their feet wet to see if this is something that will help them. And I have to say that most of the time, most of them convert. Sometimes I have people that I don't want to work with after the two hours. I This is not a project for me. So then we don't talk about moving on. But most of the time they do convert. They get excited because I'm excited about their place. And I'm like, oh, there's, you could do this and you could do that. And then they get excited and, and they hire us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is contagious because I know just speaking as a homeowner, when you live in the space or the space is new to you and it's so hard to think outside the box, it, it just really is. And that's why having you come in like that and just do the dreaming for them or with them and not hold back in any capacity is huge. And it really proves your value to them and then builds that trust almost instantly. I mean, have you seen that? Yes. And I always, I don't, I can't really insist, but I encourage them to have both the husband and wife or both the decision makers there. Because if only one is there and then they try to translate it to the other spouse, it's totally lost. Because my flat fee to do the interior design is not cheap. And so the other spouse will, I'm not going to pay that much money for that. But because they're there and they can listen to me and see what I'm telling them. And then they, like you said, they do then see the value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think that is so smart. And so not so ironically, it's not the only really smart thing that you're doing in your business. So I also want to talk about the furniture store that you have going on. Okay. Because all of these different things still feed into that same ideal client that you're talking to and talking about, but serving them in totally different ways. So I want to make sure that all the listeners get to hear, because even if you were just doing the remodel clarity session and then having that transition into a bigger project, that would be all well and good. I mean, right there, mm-hmm. that's that's a successful business. But then, of course, you have to add one more thing, right? (laughs) So you add the furniture store. So can you tell me and listeners thought process behind that, the concept, and then just how you've integrated that into the rest of your brand? Well, I when I first started out, I had my home office and I would people would want to sit on things and feel and touch them. And I had a lot of people doing that. So I was scrambling around, like taking them to San Francisco to go to the showrooms or finding showrooms in Sacramento, which both of those are big commutes. And it was just not very convenient. And so I knew people wanted to sit on something and I don't blame them. And then working from home was not that ideal. As we've talked about earlier, I was working, you know, I have an idea and at nine o'clock at night, I'd run over to my computer to do something. And, I, and it got to the point where like, I have to cut this off. And so I had the chance to rent a space at a really reasonable price. That could be a small showroom in my office. So I, I jumped on that. And so what I do is, and I just moved to a newer space since then, a couple of years ago, I just have three to four vignettes set up with like, I have a living room, a dining room, an outdoor space and a bedroom. And just of the products that I use, because over the years I've gotten to, there are certain vendors that I use and, and, and I have a very elite list of vendors that I use. And so even though the furniture, that 
sofa is not the exact one that they're going to purchase. At least they can sit on it and see the construction. And then I have all the fabrics laid out and they can see that. And then for my kitchen and bath remodels, I have uh, lots of other vignettes set up. On a, I have one wall where I have the cabinets to, uh, paired with the countertop, paired with the floor and the cabinet handle, just so people can see things. People want to see things. And I have a working kitchen as well so that I can hold events that kind of got scuttled with the pandemic. But my plan is to have, and I had a few events before that happened here, to have art exhibits and have classes. I had a florist come in and show people how to do, you know, we did arrangements. She brought all the flowers and each person went away with a flower arrangement. And we've had open houses and wine tastings. And that just brought people into the store. But the other great thing about having a storefront is you get stocking dealer pricing which if anyone doesn't know what that is. So there's designer pricing and then there's stocking dealer pricing, which is substantially better discounts on the list price. So that increased my margins. So that's another reason that I have the store. And I do sell things off the store. People do just come in to buy one-off things and they buy rugs and they'll buy chairs and and so forth. So I do have that well. So yeah, it's been a really good thing to have the store. Yeah, I think it's so smart in a lot of different ways because this whole time you're still focused on that ideal client. You're not like trying to create multiple different ideal client types. It's all just how can I serve the same person, but in a newer, better, up-leveled way. Mm -hmm. And that's what I rant about all the time on the podcast because it seems like in order for some people to grow their businesses, they think they have to go out and do something for this demographic. And no, let me go chase down this demographic. And all they do is multiply their marketing load and their management load. And that's why I really wanted you to share that about the the furniture store, because it's really just about looking at your ideal client and trying to solve as many of their pain points as you can. And Mm -hmm. clearly it has served you very well. Now, The question that I have for you is you mentioned you're able to actually increase your margin because of those stocking and dealer prices. And Mm -hmm. I know that even on your own social media, when you're talking about the furniture store, you do reference it as being more affordable. By no means is it, you know, like a big box store. But how do you approach all of that where you're not attracting the bargain hunters per se, but the people coming in? are like, okay, I want a high quality, basically designer quality furniture versus, well, I'm just shopping around from here in Pottery Barn. How have you kind of been able to differentiate between the people who are walking into the store like that? Well, it's, it hasn't been really that easy because I'm, people hear the word designer and they're like, oh, it must be super expensive because most designer studios or showrooms are very expensive. You know, the things that I sell, I could mark up two, three, four times, but I don't. You know, I do do a reasonable markup because I do want people to afford it. I'm still making the profit that I need. I have set in my strategic business plan what my profit margin needs to be, and I stick to that very diligently. So I'm just through grassroots of just talking to people, doing my blogs, doing my videos on Facebook. I'm in some local magazines. That helps a lot. People come in and they're like, oh, my God, I did. This is so great. I didn't know. First of all, they say, I didn't know you were here. These prices are really great. And then they buy from me. It's not to the perfect point yet where I don't have, because I my store is in not a big traffic location because obviously I had to find a place that was low for the lease. 
So I don't have a lot of street traffic. So just trying to get people in has been a little bit difficult. And getting people to understand the quality is so much better than, you know, the, the other furniture stores, the big names that people always go to. I don't want to say them, but. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah. And then I get this a lot. People come in and they'll say, well, I just bought this couch from such and such place a year ago and it's already falling apart. So when people say things to me like that, in a sauna, I have a big board where I put questions that people, anytime someone asks me a question, I go in there and jot it down. And so when I'm blogging or doing my social media, I try to answer those questions. Mm -hmm. All you got to do is pinpoint who your audience is. And you've taught me that because, you know, you had said, just talk to that one person. And that's what I started doing. And it makes it so much easier. (laughs) Oh, it really, really does. And I really am grateful that you you're this transparent about saying you know like the furniture store it's not perfect yet because honestly nobody's business is ever going to be exactly where they want it because that's the entrepreneurial mindset right you know we're always Mm -hmm. like all right next level next level we gotta get there but with balance and just the fact that you're like you had to move the home office well you just didn't want to have a home office because you have to be able to create that boundary for yourself Mm -hmm. and in turn that helps you that's something that I hope a lot of the the younger or the, the less experienced designers can learn from, just hearing you talk so transparently, because that's huge. You know, we tend to get all consumed by our businesses to the point where they run us, and mm-hmm. that's actually not how it's supposed to be. No, and I, I still have problems with that, and I have to rein myself in, but you know, life is short. I learned that it could end at any moment, and I don't want to miss out on being with my family. I don't want to miss out on taking care of myself. I have a tendency, yoga classes at 6 a.m. Oh, should I go today? No, maybe I'll get into the office early and get some stuff done. And then I kind of have to, <laughs> I kind of have to slap myself. No, 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 don't do that. You need your yoga, go to yoga. Yes. So it's hard. It's very, very hard. I know it's hard, especially when you're starting out, you're just all consumed, but mm-hmm. you have to have time for your family. And so, yeah. And one thing that I need to really point out to everybody is that your success has not been accidental. It's been very intentional, even if it it was a little bit subconscious, because you had a lot of things that you had to do as a business owner before you really focused on the interior design part of it, because you had the standard operating procedures in place. You had to find and take a risk on the right team members. You have been blogging diligently for many years. Mm-hmm. And all these things culminate as long as you stay focused on your ideal client, which you do. All these things culminate into a very successful business. And that is a lot of work. But as you said, if you're just speaking to that one particular person and meeting all of their needs, then it really simplifies the process. And it's just about creating the right habits and the right boundaries around everything that you're doing in business. So mm-hmm. I just think it's so interesting that you know, you've know you incorporated all of the right pieces, a lot of the things that tend to scare a newer business owner because they do just want to work on the design. And obviously I don't blame them. There are certain things in my business that I would prefer to do all day long versus some of the other more boring things. But mm-hmm. we have to be business owners first and then work on our craft second. And I know that that's hard for a lot of people, but do you have any further thoughts on that? Well, it is very important to get all those pieces in place, you know, getting your contract in place. It took me a couple years. Started out with the ASID template and there was wording in there and I'm like, 
would read it. I'm like, what does that even mean? And I'm thinking to myself, if I don't understand it, how is a client going to understand it? Getting to a point where I had a contract that worked well for me and for my business and that I could confidently explain to my clients was important. You know, having the accounting system set, having the procedures set up. There's a lot of times where people want me to deviate from my procedures, my clients, and I'll tell them, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. These are my rules. I don't say they're my rules. I was to say, these are the company rules and this is how we do it. And I'm sorry if you don't want to do it that way, but that's okay. We can move on. And it's helped me a lot of times to get out of scrapes because I've said, we don't work on Saturdays. I'm sorry. We just don't. That's helped. And the other thing I've learned, I've been guilty of this, is there's so many coaches out there right now for interior designers. I would listen to the ones podcast and I'd be like, oh yeah, she's, that's really good. I'm going to, I'm going to start doing that. And then I listen to another one. Oh yeah, that sounds really good. I'm going to start doing that. There was a point where I, I just was jumping from one procedure process to, to another. And I just decided, okay, I'm going to just listen to one. Same with marketing. And that's what I've done with you. You know, there's so many so much marketing advice out there that you could just go crazy. One says you should do this and one says you should that and one says don't do that. So I just listen to one person and follow what they say until it no longer serves me. But as long as it's serving me mm-hmm. and that's what I did with a business coach and that's what I've done with my marketing. So that's what I would say to do is just not try to listen. There's so much out there right now for interior designers, which is great because I didn't have that when I first started. I would have loved to have that. But then it gets to the point where there's too much. Don't jump around from one guru to another. Just Mm -hmm. find one that that suits you and stick with it. Yes. Oh, that's really good advice because there is a lot of overwhelm in business and marketing and new podcasts all the time and everyone's selling an ebook about something. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's even it's overwhelming to me and I am a marketer. I'm just like, oh my goodness, where did this company come from? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, right now there's coaches out there that say, don't charge for the consultation. And there's some that say that you should. And, you know, that that great fear of missing out. You're like, oh, this one said I should do. You know, you get anxiety. I've done it myself. Mm -hmm. And for a new person, I I think it would be so overwhelming. But you just have to do what works for you. And maybe that takes some trial and error, but you'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Again, going back to it's normal. You know, going to make some choices in your business that you later look at and are like, mm, yeah, maybe that wasn't a good life choice. <laughs> but, yeah, I've done that. <laughs> <in there. laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's all part of it. You know, there's a rite of passage in entrepreneurship. And that's what separates the entrepreneurs from the want entrepreneurs, you know, the people who want success, but they don't want to go through the valleys to get there. Um, yeah. You've definitely gone through the valleys and the ravines. <laughs> definitely. (laughs) Uh, Well, Kathleen, thank you so much for coming on the show and just telling your story and showing us behind the scenes of your business so transparently. That is so meaningful and it's going to help a lot of people. I'm glad. It's been great. (laughs) And also it is and it continues to be such an honor to be working with your business, you know, for five years now. And we've grown a lot together. We've watched mm-hmm. each other's businesses grow and mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy. A lot can happen in five years. Yes. <laughs> it it's is been great. Yeah. Yeah. It really has. So 
everyone listening, if you are interested in stalking Kathleen online, because you know that's acceptable, <laughs> you should head over to KathleenJennison.com. Check out what she's up to. She is already a mentor to her own team. And just by following her on social and checking out what she's blogging about, she's going to end up being a mentor for you guys as well. So I do encourage you to check her out. Until next time, guys, keep your marketing simple, keep your message clear, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Visit us at thekateshowpodcast.com where we empower home professionals with marketing confidence.